Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. Uh, very special guest. And some of you folks might know, some of you folks might not. But uh, we're going to change that today. My buddy Dave Goldstein, co-host of The Drop at Osiris Media, uh, which, of course, is a podcast uh, dedicated to fish, which is a very very uh, high point in, in my, my fandom. My fandom goes outside just baseball and sports. Fish happens to be right near the top of that list. And uh, Dave is a, uh, an expert on the subject. He's also a diehard Mets fan. So, my friend, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tim. Big fan of the show. Big fan of the Apple. It's uh, one of the Mets blogs I look forward to reading every day. Thanks so much, man. Um, so, our boys, the, the, the fish from Vermont, they are on some... Um, Oh, well, they just closed out on Sunday night, their, uh, their fall tour. But, boy, they are on some some heater right now. This tour, yeah, for my money, I think it's uh, as interesting as the band has been since the fall of 1997, just in terms of their ability to craft full sets of music, the inventiveness of the playing, the freeness with which the band is playing. And it's, uh, you know, something that I've been looking forward to every night They've been playing for the past two weeks. They're on the West Coast. If we're talking Mets, I would say in December of 1995 might be like the 86 Mets in terms of just world-destroying awesomeness <laughs> at its peak, where this has been more like 1999, like brilliance with the infield up the middle. You're talking, you have like the equivalent of um, the Ray Ordonez, Robin Ventura finds the old root infield just every night going out there. It's been a, it's been a complete joy to watch, especially given how like many people, like their entire like 2020 had to be canceled. Understandably. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and you know, for, for listeners who, who might not be um, ingrained into the fish world, I mean, you know, you folks hear about the band, you hear, Oh, you know, you might hear these, you know, Oh, it's just, it's funkiness. It's uh it's these long jams and, you know, some people don't, um, it doesn't exactly, it's not their cup of tea, but the, the musicianship, the, the improvisation, of course, that's a foundation, but um, the fun, like the fun they're having right now. And this is what, 38 years into their touring career. Um, yeah. It, it, it's, it's palpable. You can feel it listening to them. No, they started right in 1983. So here we are in 2021 there's a lot of pent up energy. You can tell during the pandemic, they were stir crazy as we were. I mean, Trey spent all this time in his apartment. I think he recorded a whole album of new material called Lonely Trip. In the fall of 2020, he was doing these webcasts to the Beacon Theater with no audience. It's just, I think really the pandemic made them realize, wow, we've had this incredible thing as incredible musicians and best friends for the past 35 years. And it can all disappear in the blink of an eye. So let's do, let's put it all out there every night. And I think the result has been, like I said, maybe the strongest top to bottom year of fish since 1997. Oh, I mean, it, it just the, all right. So the summer tour, and then again, this is, I'm a very, amateur ear when it comes to this um i only got on the bus i guess during the the first hiatus um for for again anyone not in the know i jumped on during fish 2.0 there's your 1.0 then your your breaks then your 2.0s and, and even 2003? Not, uh nope 
uh, 20, probably 2008, I started listening. And then once they, they got back on the road in 2009, I, I really got into it. And I saw my ah, first show in 2012, Jones Beach, uh, Skin It Back opener, which is, you told me, uh, how the hell do you catch that for your, for your first show? I was there. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a heck of a show. That was, yeah, 2012. Oh, good 2012. Yeah, 20, good year for the band. That was kind of, then they got back together in 2009. There was some tentativeness for a little bit, but kind of 2012 was when the switch clicked with a show like that. Yeah. I was working with a guy who went uh, to Jones Beach in 2011. And he, you know, he came back, came to work the next morning. He's like, you got to listen to this show. And, and again, I was only halfway familiar at the time, but um, he's like, this is just them having fun with the classics. And I must listen to that show. Oh, I don't know. 20, 30 times over the next year. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And yeah, we, we hit that run and it was, uh, it was incredible. What, what a great time. And probably um, every chance I've had since, or at least I try every chance since. I think I saw you at Nassau Coliseum right before the, uh, the pandemic hit. Yeah, that was uh, December 1st of 2019. Yeah, yeah, that was probably the last time official played Nassau. I mean, what are... What are the plans for NASA now that they have UBS Arena? Is it going to be torn down? Is it what are what are they doing with the barn? Um, well, they put that new shell on it, right. and that looks you know it's cool. Um, I I love the venue as a music venue. The acoustics were always terrific, in my opinion. Um, and this is going back to even you know you listen to old Grateful Dead recordings from the eighties, and oh, the yeah. place just booms. Um, you know, I think when they changed the ceiling, maybe that changed the acoustics a bit because in December of 2019, it didn't quite sound the same, but it still had that rocking barnness to it. Um, I, I believe like, they're going to. Oh, I was, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say there's like a level, no matter they put the Cosby Taco shell on the inside, they rent <laughs> it outside, they renovate the bathrooms, they step up the food offerings a bit. But even when I saw that show, I'm like, you know what? There's like a nice level of like grime to this venue that they can't ever get rid of. Like it still <laughs> feels like a barn where obviously in like the 1980s when the Islanders run that incredible run, I can't even imagine what that was like. But there's still, I don't think they have handrails in like the upper sections of the aisles. So you still got to no. be careful. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I oh, geez, after a couple of very tragic tour incidents this summer and that's just fish hmm. i mean this is all over the country even more so you need those safety measures but um yeah i you know you have a, a wonderful venue like you said you kind of feel that hominess to it it's just um i don't want to use the word decrepit because they did make a lot of upgrades and and it, it it's a playable arena for sports oh, or yeah. for music oh, yeah. um i just hope that they find use to it i know they're trying to put music back in it um on a regular basis it's the nycb whatever now and uh yeah hopefully it sticks around because so many great memories between the islanders and, and concerts and oh my goodness i think we saw the globe trotters there i think we saw monster trucks there as kids i mean it's the coliseum this place was great I saw, I saw disney on ice there my grandparents many times yeah. Oh, definitely, man. I brought my kids to Disney on ice there. I mean, you serious know. ice capades. I saw Van Halen there in 2007, one of like the David Lee Roth shows. I went into um, wow. What's the hotel across the street? Is that like the Sheridan? The Marriott. The Marriott. Oh, the, or the Marriott. Sheridan? Yeah. Yeah. I walked into that hotel, and it was just like people lying on top of couches drinking Bud Light. I'm like, 
wow, <laughs> this really feels like the 80s. This is great. <laughs> it's funny. Um, they do have a tunnel underneath going across, I guess, across the parking lot from the Coliseum to the hotel um, for a way for visiting hockey players. Because I guess during the 80s, there was so much fan, you know, just excitement out there that <laughs> players couldn't walk out. They couldn't walk from the, the Coliseum to the hotel without being uh, accosted. So there is actually a tunnel downstairs. Nowadays, if you try to cost, I don't know, say Cal Clutterbuck, it will cost you back. Yeah, I, I'm sure <laughs> in the 80s, if you tried to do it with the Brian Trottier, he would do the same thing to you. <laughs> Oh, um, good times. But yeah, I mean, it's the Coliseum. I, I yeah. do hope they find, you know, regular use for it. But hey, this is a Mets podcast. Do you want to get into the Metropolitans a little bit? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, real quick. I know before we jump to the Mets, see, yeah. we, 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 very, we improvise on this show just like Fish. Um, what are your thoughts? I, a real quick background on Halloween. Fish does, I mean, through the 90s, they would cover albums and even um, early in, the, uh, in their I guess, return to the stage. They, they kept on covering some albums. As of late, they've released uh, pretty much concepts, full concept albums in all different veins of, of genres. And, you know, it's still got that fish funkiness to it. But, I mean, you had the Disney's Haunted House in 2014. They, they created a Norwegian band, Kasvat Vox, in 20, uh, 2018. And most of those songs have found their way into the, uh, into the repertoire. And, and, you know, they play the hell out of them. Um, the Wingsuit shows in, what is that, 2012? 13, 2013. In 2013. And then right, and last, night, last night was uh, some sci-fi adventure. Would you care to, uh, to, to enlighten us? Um, okay, so like you said... <laughs> Back when Fish started really taking Halloween so seriously, they covered full albums like their Halloween costume. Like in 1994, they did the Beatles, the White Album. 1995, the Who's Quadrophenia. 1996, Talking Heads, uh, the album Remain in Light from 1980. One of my favorite albums of all time. One of the greatest yeah. Fish cover sets of all time. But yeah, like you said, um, once Fish came back, I think they did the Rolling Stones Exile on Main Street, Little Feet Waiting for Columbus. But lately, instead of covering albums on Halloween, they've done these full concepts. Instead of playing like another band, they'll take on another persona and present like 75 minutes of all like original music like they did last night. Um, I think for this point in their career, I think it's great because I think it's more challenging to them to write all these new songs and put together a concept than it would be for them just to get up on stage and play like the Allman Brothers eat a peach, which they could do in their sleep. And it'd be great. Like you'd really enjoy it in the moment, but there's like a lot of jam bands nowadays that can do that. I mean, in jam band world, Halloween is like a sacred night. You see bands like Mo and government mule putting together like full album covers or full band covers. And that's great. And that's enjoyable, but I think when you get to the level of skill and the level of ingenuity expected from fish, you know, they kind of have the wherewithal and the money and the organization to do these full band concepts. So I think to me, that's more interesting than them getting up and playing like a Floyd record. And I thought last night when they put it together with the whole comic book and the onstage costumes and personas, some of which kind of felt a little bit like spinal tap, but that's okay. 
(laughs) Okay. Yeah. Kind of like the level of concept they're going for. I think it's great. Um, because the show last night was in Las Vegas, I got through half of it before I had to go to sleep. So um, <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to listening to the rest of it. Uh, yeah, I thought it, what I heard sounded awesome. Oh, and just so funky. And, and, you know, I don't know. They slipped lyrics in from, you know, from all different eras. And they slipped jokes in. And John Fishman, who's the drummer of, of the band, who's, um, you know, just a m- musical genius they all are they're all just you know jazz left jazz lovely musicians i'm sorry i woke up with a cold this morning guys so excuse my voice but uh fully vaxxed triple vaxxed but you know colds happen as me and dave were saying before the show colds happen sometimes yeah, colds just, are just colds i've had all <laughs> three of my shots as well but sometimes you get a cold, you know. <laughs> yeah hey you know it is what it is that time of year but um yeah just it, it's it's inspiring to you know, just keep on pushing the envelope, keep on moving the boundary. Like, yeah, you know, we've, we've made it here. What are we doing next? We can hang it up or we can keep on going. Let's keep on going. And that's pretty much this band's, you know, MO it's what they've done. It's, it's their bread and butter. It's, it's why we all keep coming back, but uh, we should get into the Mets. Cause again, I would say 96, 97% of our, of our listeners have no idea what we're talking about. So, <laughs> but that's the beauty of having my own show is that I could do stuff like this. It's, it's great. We're going to take a really, really quick break here from our sponsors, come back and we're going to talk about the world series, talk about the Mets and all that fun stuff. Hang tight. And we are back again. We're here with Dave Goldstein from the drop on Osiris. Dave, Real quick before we jump into the Mets, one Osiris, they're fairly new and they've kind of blown up among the jam band community. Um, and you guys, you know, you're, you're, you're right in the mix among, you know, pretty much on like an all-star roster. What's that been like? <laughs> all-star roster. Um, well, I'll say kind of me and my co-host, Brian Brink, we kind of started podcasting back in 2017. We had, a fish podcast called beyond the pond, which I think got to 111 episodes. And the point of that podcast was to turn fish fans onto other types of music. The idea is that fish fans sometimes only listen to fish and we're like, that's great. We love fish, but here's 800 other bands you should enjoy. And we were able to really stretch out that concept while also introducing other things like um, we had some, me, me and my co-host are huge baseball fans. So actually, uh, we got to interview Sean Doolittle at one point. He was a huge mom, huge fish fan, in addition to obviously being a major league World Series winning pitcher. That episode had the uh, unfortunate release date of, I want to say, the first week of March 2020. So <laughs> not a lot of people heard it, understandably. So... Um, we eventually shut down Beyond the Pond and kind of joined up some other Osiris podcasters for the Undermine podcast, which is more of like a dedicated fish deep dive with a narrative and stories and interviews. That's in the midst of its second season. But also we wanted to get back to just doing like me and Brian talking music. So that's when we started doing The Drop, which comes out almost every Monday. That's not just fish. That's like music news jam band news, sports news, kind of anything that strikes our fancy. Plus we tend to highlight other podcasts in the Osiris universe, but we also talk a bit of baseball on that one just because we can't help ourselves. Naturally, as, as we do. Um, Have you been watching much of the world series this year? 
I haven't just because as a diehard Mets fan, Astros <laughs> Braves is not terribly appealing to me. I, you're not I'm alone. Lost. Trust me, you're not alone in these things. I, I, I'm I'm sitting back enjoying, but you, you're you're not alone in that sentiment. I've watched dribs and drabs. I mean, I've been following it on Twitter. I've been reading the Athletic. You know, I mean, obviously, with any World Series, there's storylines you can grab onto. I mean, do I think it would be cool to see Dusty Baker win a World Series? Yes. And at the same time, with a guy like Brian Snicker, I mean, his dedication to the Braves organization just like having to climb his way up the ladder to get to where he is to be in the world series is that's extremely cool. I love seeing like the two like old school field general managers battle, but I mean, there's the Astros and the cheating scandal. And then there's the Braves that have ripped my heart out more times in my 42 years of living than I can count. And I think that the chop is quite disgusting. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's not as bad as um, as like Phillies Yankees in two thousand nine. <laughs> I could even go back to Braves Yankees um, ninety six and ninety nine. Both of them. I mean, oh, you know, I yeah. was I was a young fan, and that was it was tough to watch until you started watching it. Like, oh wow, this is to really well. At least ninety six was. It's a decent series. I think Yankees won in six, but you know, it's a fun series. It's baseball, and that's how I came into this. And last night. Atlanta let off with a grand slam and right. <laughs> like, oh, this, this feels like being a Mets fan again. Like, what is this? Here we go. Adam Duvall. What did you get him from the Reds? What was no? Uh, he was in the Marlins. He was in the Marlins, Reds. He yeah. start, started the year. God, to start the year in the Miami Marlins and end up in the World Series in the Braves, you just have yeah. to like, my God. That's Look at else. Soler, too. Soler was in Kansas City. He's been there. You know, I think he was with the Cubs when they won in 2016 went to Kansas city and just sat down, like, you know, sat in Kansas city and hit a bunch of home runs and turned into a very nice player. And yeah, he finds himself uh, hitting home runs in the world series and same thing. Yeah, with Eddie I mean, Rosario. You know, I can't, I find it hard to hate on a guy like Freddie Freeman, who obviously, you no. know, he's a good dude. He's an amazing player. Hopefully he stays a brave for the rest of his career. Like, you know, I mean, obviously with any, irrespective of the team it's, it's comprised of individuals and if you love the game as much as you and i do you can find something to enjoy yeah oh for sure and i you know and i was saying at the beginning of the series i'm like oh you know i don't even care if atlanta wins but now now that it's pushing game six it's like no nah, maybe i kind of do care if atlanta wins this isn't fun <laughs> but uh you know it, it is what it is it, i said it on the last show i said it on the apple the mets you know, they had their chances and not just on the field. I think the front office and the organization had their chances to kind of do what the Braves did, make all the moves and let's make a real push. And, and they kind of didn't. And and from that standpoint, it's um it's disappointing. Yeah, I will say my report card in the 2021 Mets is even when they were in first place. What was the high watermark? Was it 10 games or 500? I think. Uh, yeah, something like that. I think there were like okay. six games up in the division, something like that. Even when there were six games up, I never felt safe. This, I never felt like this was like a 99 or 2006 season where they were just going to run away with it and make you feel very comfortable. It always seems like they were one streak away from falling to pieces. And I just think when they completely lost the plot against Pittsburgh – 
at the end, right before the All-Star break and after the All-Star break, that was when I started to see the light in the tunnel as a train. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there were points, and I, I try to stay optimistic because you and anyone else who follows me on Twitter can, can attest to. But, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the warning signs were there. Um, the, the confidence level in, in whatever lead they had, it, it just it started to wane and wane and chip away until it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> now, they're, now they're really painted themselves into a corner, and, and we all know how it turned out from there. But um, I just, you know, if the Braves do pull this off, I think that that sting, not just for the fans, but for the for the organization, that should kind of linger. It should motivate them to say, hey, this is how close we were to doing what they just did. And, and yeah. we've been in their spot before. And we've, you know, look at 2015. They were they were middling. They went out and made a great move and to the moon they went. And that's, you know, the Braves did it times four with all the moves they made. But, um, it, you know, you have to kind of just tip your cap and also hopefully a light to fire under the, uh, under the Mets. Yeah. 2015 was kind of um, a lot of things had to go right. Like Cespedes had to play like Mickey Mantle for like the second for like 2015. Plus, I mean, really good role players, Juan Uribe and Kelly Johnson. And of course it helped that Daniel Murphy played out of his freaking mind in the playoffs. <laughs> oh so. man. I don't, you know, they could say, oh, he, he changed his swing. I'm still convinced there has to be some uh, some mystic level of, of of tinkering done there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> how does he turn into how does he turn into that guy? And he did it for uh, yeah. a few seasons, but just boom overnight. Like he was yeah. always a nice hitter. I think he hit 280 with the Mets during his time. He was never a power guy, but, you know, you saw him slash doubles down the opposite field line a ton of times. Just boy, he 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 tinkered with something him and Kevin Long and and. uh who was the guy Justin Turner's uh, swing coach turned him on as well? Jared Diamond um, wrote a great story, uh, yes, by the yeah. way. And exactly. anyway, everyone should check that out. But boy, the name escapes me. Anyway, um, yeah, just, you know, wonderful things. And funny enough, Javi Baez played better during his time with the Mets than Ioannis Espedes did during his, well, at least during 2015. Um, yeah. It just, it says- you know, it, it didn't click all the way. No, I mean, I think they also got beset by some bad luck. I mean, obviously, oh, bad luck injuries. When you lose Jacob Degrom for the entire second half of the season, that ain't good. Um, <laughs> that ain't good. No. That's a, a quote in itself. <laughs> Francisco Lindor, who outside of maybe the first six weeks of the season was playing pretty loud his career averages when mm-hmm. he went down earlier at the start of after the All Star break. There was on-field intangibles with that guy that I don't think you can quantify. I think they really missed his leadership. Um, I'm not convinced that Jeff McNeil wasn't playing hurt because when you have a pure hitter like that to just completely fall from the sky, there's got to be like another explanation for it. Sure. And he wasn't I think running that, out. I mean, he, he, he wasn't running out stuff that he usually runs out by the end of the right. year. And, you know, no one's going to say anything, but – so yeah, that's a that's a red flag. <laughs> yeah. And I think Baez, I mean, I would I would love if they could bring I think they should bring him back. I'd love if they could do it quickly because you want defense up the middle. I mean, having Lindor and Baez, two best friends, two guys that can play at that level and play in front of the huge big lights in New York City. I think that's I think they should get to work on that. Is he a bit of a free swinger? Yeah. 
but that's that's okay. That's you know. Yeah. Oh, when he does all that he can fun. do. Right. I mean, you look at uh, what's his name? Corey Seager, uh, not Corey Seager. Um, Kyle Seager, who's just left Seattle. Mm-hmm. I mean, he admitted to everybody. He's like, oh, I'm completely selling out on batting average to, to hit for more power. And what did he do this year? He's 37 years old. He hit, you know, the most home runs he had in his career, um, more extra base hits than he's had in his career. And, you know, guys just have to kind of adjust. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm very encouraged by Baez, at least appearing to find a little more discipline at the plate over the, over his time with the Mets, I guess, towards the, the latter part of the season. Um, you know, if that's the, the case and he's that type of player who does have a little bit more recognition and discipline in his, in his approach, that's a, um, you know, that's a scary, scary player because he does it in every aspect, base running, defense, uh, energy, just those intangibles that you mentioned. It, yeah. He, he checks all the boxes for me. I think that would be a, a huge pickup. My podcast partner, Brian, is as big a Cubs fan as you and I had to be Mets fans. And he just broke his heart to see the 2016 core get broken up with it. He realized it kind of had to happen. Sure. Um, a lot of the stuff that gets left on the cutting room floor of our podcast is him just cursing like the Ricketts family. <laughs> um, no, but he just said, like, he told me the fact that you get to watch, you might get to see the hobby buyers experience every night. You'll see it's magic. And I'm just envious of like what that guy can bring to a ball club. So, Oh, you have to be. We'll see. I would be happy if uh, they bring him back. I mean, at the same time, I don't think that the Hugh, I think it might've been a bit much to ask to change the entire culture of the team overnight. I mean, now that, you know, obviously Steve Cohen's got a lot of money, the payroll should go up precipitately. I mean, the payroll should increase. Yeah. And they should clean house a bit, which is what they've done. I'm curious to see what happens in years two and year three. But to like completely wash out the Wilpons overnight, I, I don't think it was going to happen. And I think that's what some people may have been a little disappointed this year. But it's, it's a process. Oh, sure. And I think when Cohen came in, he said it's going to be a three to five year thing, or at least ideally before, you know, we, this team hopefully reaches the, uh, you know, the promised land, but, you know, looking at what they, what's ahead of them just this off season, they, they've been, you know, denied on countless occasions to, to speak with, I guess, executives that are pretty much making lateral moves. And that's, I guess, to be expected. Of course, it's magnified now because the team's in a, in a, in a fishbowl in this regard, but, you know, I think there's going to be more, action behind the scenes that or there, there probably has been that, you know, we're never even going to hear about. Um, there's still new names coming out. I know Andy Martino from SNY mentioned uh, Raquel Ferreira and uh, Daniel Hadler awesome. from Minnesota. Oh, that would be amazing. He wrote about it at the Apple on Monday morning, actually. And, you know, it was just a quick hit, but, you know, he, I found a quote from Xander Bogarts to the undefeated from a few years ago. Um, Theo, Epstein, who was her uh, her boss in in Boston for over a decade, just you know, glowing reviews and raves about what she does from all different aspects. I think it'd be a a home run, but you know, these are the types of moves that kind of have that domino effect. Like, oh boy, the Mets made a really good hire. Now there's some buzz. You're heading into whenever the offseason kicks off with a lockout or strike or whatever, a work stoppage. We'll leave it at that. Kind of looming. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, any sort of buzz they can develop now heading into what's going to be a tumultuous kind of offseason um, league wide. You know, that's good. Oh, but, you know, if they head into, say, if there's a lockout and then they they come out of a lockout and there's a small window to start signing players and the Mets are still getting their ducks in a row. I mean, that just it's not a it's not a good look. And and I no. think that Ferrera Ferrera would be a a, a, a huge step, um, well deserved from 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 her standpoint. You know, all the time she's put in in Boston. You know, uh, for me, you know, I have a pick. I, I've tried to stay neutral in this whole thing, but she is my pick. She's outstanding. Um, yeah, well, she I'm would, curious. Would be I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm saying she'd be fantastic if the Mets. Want to be trailblazers in that regard. If they want to make a big splash, she checks all the boxes, like you said. And I just think that would be go a long way towards changing the conversation about this team, especially oh, erasing some of the stink that they had with their the front office this year, which we don't have to go into detail on. But, um, you know, Dave Porter and Zach Sky were not uh, – didn't quite work out like we would have wanted, I think. Yeah, no, that was right. – no, and that's – that was also kind of a, a rushed process, but that yeah. doesn't excuse them making like the, the Jared Porter thing. You know, oh, Zach Jared Scott Porter. made Zach Scott made a mistake. Zach Scott, um, it's a really <laughs> potentially very dangerous mistake. Um, what Jared Porter did, you know, that should have been caught. That kind of falls on yes. the people who hired him. Yes. Um, and 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 you know, all that stuff aside, just talking baseball and experience in the front office strictly and that's it Raquel Ferreira is by but you know she's experienced she's has championship pedigree with Boston and when I say checks all the boxes I am only talking about the baseball side of things and just so well well deserved and you know of course moving on from the mistakes that this organization has made uh, would also be you know a, a huge win so uh, absolutely yeah. you know you have to hope they're in the right spot any pick for manager? I know that's kind of secondary at this point, too. Um, hmm. Nothing off the top of my head. How do you feel about I Beltran? Mean, I would be perfectly happy with Beltran getting a second shot. I mean, look, if people can take the Astros seriously at this point for like World Series contenders and kind of give them the lightest of a slap on the wrist. I mean, I think Carlos Beltran's pedigree with the Mets, the guy's baseball knowledge runs so incredibly deep that I I think he got a raw deal, personally. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think he got scapegoated big time. Yeah. I would – I'd be very happy to see him back on the bench as match manager. I mean, so, yeah, that would probably – that might be my first pick if we're talking, like, people in, in like, the Mets organization – I, mean, I think it might be fun to see Todd Zeal as Mets manager. I, I mean, I don't, I can't see that happening, but I think his uh, his well of baseball knowledge and intelligence runs very deep. I think that the players are liking quite a bit. Yeah, I think that the guy we see on TV doing post game isn't the actual Todd Zeal. I think that there's a yeah, lot more yeah. to Todd Zeal than the guy we see on TV. And of course, you know, a, a decade and a half of major league experience will 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 do that. Um, I haven't heard the name tossed around very often, but sure, I'm, I'm intrigued. Sure. Do you think a, a guy with experience is necessary or would a, you know, a Carlos Beltran or even a Todd Zeal with all that playing experience 
maybe, you know, Beltran's only a few years removed um, would be a better example. But do you think that that level of experience kind of it, does it equate to managerial experience? Uh, in the case of Beltran, I think it does. I think I'm with you there. He's too smart. He loves the game too much. He's has a guy like that is too much of a lifer, too much of an on-field leader to, I, I think he'd be a perfect transition to the managerial role. I don't see how you can play that much baseball and have that much success, be that good at the game and not have, I mean, plus, I mean, kind of when he was on the Astros in his later years on the Yankees, even I guess um, the Cardinals, I mean, he was yes, kind he of was. almost brought in as, Almost not a kind of on like a Pete Rose player manager type, I think. Yeah. Sure. And it just it just so happened he kept on producing like the whole time. <laughs> like yeah. he, if not for the whole Houston thing, um, we'd be discussing Carlos Beltran as a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm yeah. uh, if not first ballot, damn close to it. And I think he still has that shot because, you know, you could look at his whole career and say, okay, well, he was in Houston for a couple of years and shit hit the fan. But I mean, look at the body of work. That's just, um, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer in my book. Yeah, I think me as well. It's not, I think people, I think sports writers might be slightly more forgiving of what he's being accused of as opposed to say Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, uh, type of thing. I don't know. That's like another conversation for a whole other podcast as well. Oh yeah. Oh, well, we'll, we do the hall of fame episode every year. Don't worry. We'll have to have you back because you know, it's funny. We're only a couple of years apart in age. Um, You know, we saw Barry Bonds. We saw how incredibly Mm. good he was before he took allegedly took steroids. Right. Um, You know, 400, 400, he was, he's still the only player to, 400 home runs, 400 stolen bases before 1998, which was when he supposedly began using steroids. No one's done it since. And he did it over the first half of his career, like just beyond incredible. In my head, I don't care what he did. He's a hall of famer. Yeah. Who do you think um, just shifting in terms of the Mets composition for next year, in terms of the potential free agent signings, from the team as constructed now. I mean, one thing I will say, I don't care who's in the front office. I think that getting Stroman back for four or five years should be a priority. Oh, absolutely. I love watching that guy pitch so much in terms of his intelligence on the mound, in terms of like his visibility in social media, in terms of just like how, um, you know, I think that, his contributions to like charity and society as a whole. I think he's the kind of guy that you really, want to bring back and he kind of put the team on his back. So I would, uh, I'm really hoping that that would get done sooner than later, give the man what he wants. Oh, I think that should be very high on the priority list. I, I you know, there's going to be a lot of competition. <laughs> um, <Right>. Every content, <laughs> every contender is going to need, yeah, every contender needs pitching. That's just what it's right. based on. And this is a guy, I mean, everyone's always oh, goes, he goes short into games. Oh, he pitched in more doubleheaders than anybody last year. Oh, well, mm-hmm. he only goes this long. Oh, well, he kept on getting pulled with 80 something pitches with two earned runs. And, you know, this just doesn't always fall on the pitcher. And um, yeah, like you said, I mean, it goes beyond the field. It's the, the confidence. It's the, the message he's sending to, to the youth. It's, it's the, the foundations and the clinics and the, you know, it's the whole package. And like you said, it's, it's what <laughs> it's the type of player 
as an organization that you want in the fold. And, right. you know, you're going to look around, you're going to see, I'm sure Toronto is going to be in the mix. I'm sure both Chicago teams will be in the mix. I'm sure you're going to hear some West coast teams in the mix. You know, the Mets have deep pockets now. And, and it, it we, so we saw Stroman do it last year when DeGrom went down, Yeah, he was able to, kind of slide into that ace role and be that guy. He finished the year with like a 3.02 ERA. Um, if, you know, it, the type of contingency plan that you would need for a guy like Jacob DeGrom up front is a 1A or a 1B or whatever, however you want to put it, right behind him. And I think Marcus Stroman is that guy. And like <laughs> you said, off the field too. And then I guess what, they'll probably extend the QO to Thor, which will probably take – yeah, I would. I, I would. Pref- I would prefer exploring a like a maybe a, a two or three year deal. Maybe an option is the third year at like okay fifteen million, just to see if maybe we can kind of limit the yearly expense and keep him in the fold after not pitching for two years. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he'd be open to it. Um, yeah, something to kind of to look at, but sure, and and hope you get a lot from him. I mean, like like I said, you hadn't you haven't seen a whole bunch of them. Um, but going into the off season. Having returned to the field, I think it'll bode well for uh, building himself back up. Yeah, absolutely. I have enough faith that he'll bet on himself, that he's got the confidence, he has the pedigree, that provided he's fully healthy, I have no concerns about that guy going forward. No. Wait, do you have any, um, I guess, it's just a wild guess at this point, any any ideas where Conforto might land? Any decent fits? Um. Chicago White Sox. They, yeah. Stick him in a corner. I, you know, they like Adam Engel, who I like a lot. Okay. He's a really good fielder, nice hitter, but what about Seattle? A, yeah. Seattle could use some veteran, a veteran guy out there. They got a nice young outfield. He's Do from Oregon, some, right? He is. So he's from he's the Pacific, from Pacific Northwest. Northwest. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. What a future out there. Oh, my goodness. I love Michael Conforto. I. I love him enough to say that I think he needs to change the scenery at this point. Oh, I'm sure he'll do great too. And yeah. selfishly, I know watching him come up, we're all Mets fans and we want to see him do well. And of course we want to see him stay for the for most of us. Um, but yeah, you know, we've seen it happen so many times where a guy just needs to get the hell out of Queens and uh, goes and prospers. Wouldn't be surprised to see him land in San Francisco. I think he fits there. Okay. Um, I think he fits there what they're looking for so well. He, yeah, he'd be. I can see him in San Francisco. West Coast team, I still think like Seattle could be a potential landing spot for him. Sure. Um, I'm guessing the Mets will probably extend the qualified offer with Boras, his, um, his agent, is probably likely to reject it. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, if he ends up on the Mets again, I'm, you know, perfect, I'd be surprised, but I'd be perfectly happy with that as well. But I would, I would love to see him rake out on the West Coast. Yeah, and I think the way he finished last year or twenty twenty one, it it does it's encouraging because you know he was lost for a big portion of last season, Oof. and then he you know over the second half he really looked like Michael Conforto again. I think from August first on, you know, stats wise, he was pretty much the same guy minus some power. That's going to be a plus, and if you're looking at the whole body of work, someone's going to pay for that. And it, if it's the Mets, cool. But um, I, I just you know at this point I don't see it. But uh, it's certainly he's, a boon if they bring him back. He's such a heady player. 
He's so yeah. smart, and I just think he got way too into his own head. I, I just yeah. I think he admitted, to, he admitted as much. I, I, right. he, he said, he's like, yeah, I just was up there thinking too much. Um, it happens. And I wish that, you know, we could put ourselves into professional athletes' minds sometimes just right. to know what's right. happening, but we can't. No, <laughs> we never can. Can't. One thing, um, if I could just kind of bring the Mets back to fish a little bit. Sure, um, please. One of, I mean, I think you'll find a lot of hardcore Mets fans also tend to be hardcore baseball fans, just for the reason that fish. Um, hardcore fish fans tend to be oh, hardcore yeah, baseball yeah, fans. Yeah. yeah okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. I just, just wanted to make sure I got that. <laughs> That's right. Hardcore fish fans tend to be hardcore baseball fans, just because if you want to get in the boat, there's some incredibly nerdy deep diving baseball, worlds of, worlds of statistics, worlds of memories. Um, I mean, following the Mets is kind of to me like following fish because each night there's going to be a certain set of rules. Fish is always going to play two sets. The baseball game is always going to be nine innings, but you never know what's going to happen. You never know if you're going to see like an average night or you're going to see a baseball game that you're going to want to tell your children and their children's children about like with hardcore fish fans, you can say something just like, the Madison Square Garden tweezer, tweezer being a big Mets, uh, being a big, big fish song. And a lot of people will know that despite the fact that they've played tweezer at the gardens many times, it'd be like, oh, sure. December 13, 2019, of course. And if you go to a big Mets fan, you say the like day Sun coup game, it'd be like, oh, of course. It's Randy Johnson in 2005 against the Yankees. He hit a double off of him like this, like Korean relief pitch and really took Randy Johnson deep. And that's the same type of deep nerdiness that I get from the Mets. I get from fish. And when you care about it that much, when it's good, it's like nothing else. Like I, I, I feel bad almost when something affects my mood as much as it does that I have no control over, but that's just, that's rabid fandom for you. I mean, when the Mets yeah. play better, I sleep better. I like, I've got more of a pet in my step. <laughs> and it's when true. Fish is on, you know, like that's, that's it's totally to me, and it's, it, it's like a whole community. I've met some of my greatest friends in the world just via fish. And I've met some of my closest friends happen to be rabid Mets fans. Like my law school roommate, who I went to law school, started back in 2001. Our first phone conversation, he said, are you a sports guy? I said, yeah. He said, who are your teams? I said, Mets, Giants, Knicks. And there was a pause. And he said, thank God. <laughs> and we've been, awesome. we've been like best friends since. So, you know. That's excellent. Oh, that's so cool. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> Even on a, all right, I, I dig the parallels between baseball and fish. Here's mine. Because even Shoot. on a night that, all right, so for fish, even on a night that fish is just a shit show, they can't find, they can't take off, they can't, and it's never really, that's my point. It's never really that bad. No. Okay. You wanted, worst worst yeah. case, you chalk it up as a loss and you move on. And that's, that's what life is about. That's what baseball is about. That's what doing anything is about. Like, you're not going to win every single time you go out there. But you're going to keep on going out there. And I think that, right. you know, as fans of baseball, as fans of fish, as musicians out there, as athletes out there can all attest to, it's about what you do after you lose, not what you do after you win. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. He, I mean, I think fish probably they don't over in the 90s and they were young and fire. They would probably overanalyze every game. Now it's kind of like if they have it off now and they're not hooking up, we'll say, okay, we'll put it in their back pocket. And then the next night could be totally different. And I think probably oh, we saw that during summer yeah. tour. Oh my gosh. Like you said, the mindset of like a pro baseball player, if Pete Alonso goes over four at the plate, he probably says, all right, that's fine. Get him the next night because I know I've, I've got the goods and that's kind of what you have to do. Otherwise it ends up being like paralysis by analysis. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and, and it's so funny because you heard it with fish, this recent tour. And I, actually maybe it was night three in Vegas. So that was uh, Saturday night. I don't know. Maybe just from my ear, they started off a little slow, kind of clunky. And then they started doing the, hello, how are you? And just having mm. a little fun out there and, and boom, it just turned into something else. And they clicked and it, it, whether it's a jam or, or a little conversation they have musically, it's, it's, there's always a spark. And in baseball, it's the same thing. There's always going to be a spark. It's what you do with it. It's, ah, yeah. it's beautiful. It's for baseball beautiful. games just sit there for seven innings or spinning their wheels. And then something happens. And you're like, oh, OK, I'm back yeah. in it. Ah, oh, see, yeah. this is and this is where we end this show, because that was just perfect. That was beautiful. <laughs> Dave, where can everybody find you on social media, buddy? Um, all right. If you and want when to the pod me, and everything and where, and where can we find the podcast? Of course. Okay. Cool. Well, the podcast is the drop. Um, it's part of Osiris media, which is osirispod.com. You can find it on the Osiris pod, what, uh, media website. Um, you can also find the drop is on, it's everywhere. You can find podcasts. It's on Spotify, Apple, um, it's on iTunes. It's, uh, on, on Stitcher. It's on Google play, I think. So that comes out. Each Monday, there's also um, the Undermine podcast, which has been coming out every Wednesday. We took a bit of a break for tour. So that's also you can find that on the same um, anywhere where podcasts can be found. So, yeah, you can definitely please check this out. I welcome you to check this out. If you want to follow me on social media, on Twitter, I'm at uh, Dave G924, September 24th being my birthday. And I joined uh, Twitter back in 2010. Everyone's having their name and their birthday. Wasn't being very original. So yeah, right. my my Twitter feed is largely music and just kvetching about the Mets and basically the Knicks and Giants. Oh yeah. I I, I kind of try to keep it positive, but every now and then like the Giants will do something. I'll just have to air it out against Jason Garrett because I don't <laughs> always like what he does. <laughs> yeah, he's a little bit he's become a bit predictable. And it it's only blows been my mind that seven or eight weeks. The former coach of the Cowboys, the Giants offensive coordinator. Like, that doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> you think it's a, a little bit that's, of a back bathroom action there? That's that's football, though. It's anyone, oh, yeah. any coach can go anywhere. <laughs> well, uh, Garrett was a backup quarterback for the Giants when I was yeah. a kid. Yeah, yeah. not yeah. when I was a kid. I was probably a teenager. But, so, yeah, you know, it, it's it's a carousel. And that's the same thing in baseball. We're going to see, you know, Bruce Boshi get hired somewhere. We're going to see. It, it's just, it's a carousel. It's it's a business. Yeah. I, I guess it is what it is. At least we won't see any of our favorite band members switching bands anytime soon. No, you're not going to see uh, <laughs> Trey and Estasio end up on <laughs> end up on Mo or some other jam band. No. <laughs> hey, uh, how fun would that be? You know, they have the, the hip hop verses. 
you do like jam band versus jam band and then switch up members. And, oh, you have a good time with that stuff. Oh, I'd, I'd totally pay for that. That'd be great. That's you. <laughs> we got to start putting our feelers out. Dave, <laughs> I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. This was fun. We're going to do it again. Um, certainly around Hall of Fame time because uh, Absolutely. I'm, sure we have some, I'm sure we have some opinions on that matter. And um, everybody, please check out The Drop. Check out Undermine. Check out Osiris Pods because there's a lot of great stuff there. And uh, you guys know where to find us, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And uh, we'll be back next week. Keep Oof. it locked onto the Apple. All that fun stuff. Dave, what, what, you had one more thing? No, I just want to say thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate this. I love listening to the podcast. I love that there are people and not very knowledgeable about the fish and Mets world. <laughs> and uh, thanks a lot. I look forward to seeing uh, how this offseason materializes. Oh, same here, man. And thank you. I can't thank you enough for coming on, spending the time enlightening our friends here on, on the wonderful worlds of, of fish and and uh, I guess how the other half lives outside of the uh, the mainstream music world. It's so funny. We could extend this for another hour, but I won't. Everybody, you know where to find us. We'll see you next time. And you know the sign off. Let's fucking go, Mets. Peace. Yeah!